Father, I pray that just as we acknowledge what we sing, God, we would understand and realize the greatness of the cross. And Father, the reality is, is that as we talk about, as we jump into what we are calling vigilant, what it means to be vigilant, what it means to be a person who lives on purpose, what it means to be a person who understands that the end, the second coming of Jesus is coming. May we be people who understand first that it all started at the cross, that the cross is the beginning of the end. The cross is the, the, the culmination of how you established your kingdom. It is the culmination of you defeating sin and defeating death. And God, at the cross, where the rest of the world may think that the end of Jesus was final, God, we realize that that was the end of Jesus' life on earth, only to be risen again, to ascend to the right hand of the Father and to be waiting upon the Father for the time when you will say, it's time. It's time for you to go get my children. It's time for you to go get my church, my bride, and it's time for you to establish your kingdom, which will never end. And I think that's the greatest thing we have to understand. It is to establish the kingdom that will never end. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 24. We are starting a new series, but we are really continuing our our study through the book of Matthew as we jumped into that. Matthew chapter 24, you can uh, bookmark or finger, put your finger in in verse 15. Uh, And I want you to think about this. Everything that we sing here at the church is focused on really one thing. Every, every version, everything that we sing is to focus on and, and represent or, and really acknowledge who Jesus is and what Jesus did, what Jesus offers us, how he gives you life and life more abundantly. As we jump into this, I want you to think about the words we sing and really how that's the culmination of Jesus at the cross is the culmination of his life here on earth, but is not the culmination or, or the end. It's, it's just a, a pointing to what is to come later. So as we wrapped up the King and Kingdom series last week by looking at the beginning of what is called the Olivet Discourse, Jesus gives his disciples uh, a number of teachings. He talks about a number of things. But if you remember, Jesus had really gone off. In Matthew chapter 23, had, had, he flipped over to the tax collectors, the tables. He's cleaning out the temple. He goes into the temple. He begins to teach. In the midst of teaching in the temple, he really goes off on the religious leaders. He puts them in check. He calls them out. He starts to talk about how the temple is going to be destroyed. And then in chapter 24, where we were at last week, Jesus left the temple, was walking away with his disciples. And as he's walking away, his disciples come up to him and and they call his attention to the buildings. You have to understand the building of the temple. The temple was a, a magnificent thing to be seen. It was built by man, made out of stone. I mean, it was beautiful thing to be seen. And so as they're leaving the temple, because Jesus of what Jesus says at the end of chapter 23, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, look at this temple. I mean, everything you talked about, the reestablishment of what's going on, look at this temple. What Can you see the magnificence? I mean, look what they say. They say, do you, they call attention to his buildings and listen to what he says to his disciples. Do you see all these things? In other words, look at the beauty of this temple. If you see this, I tell you the truth that not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. At which point the disciples would be like, holy smokes. He's not joking around. This is something serious. And so as Jesus then continues on and goes over to the Mount of Olives, that's why they they call it the Olivet Discourse. Jesus goes over to the Mount of Olives and the disciples came to him privately and they said, tell us. 
When will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so Jesus, what we looked at last week is he gives them some signs. What will be the signs of your coming? All right? And so we went over those signs. But as we jump into those, I'm going to pull something up here in just a second. But the Bible is clear on this. What we have to begin to understand is this. That regardless of your viewpoint on how the end will come about, the Bible is very clear that Jesus is coming back. There is no doubt about that. As a matter of fact, John chapter 14, verse 3 says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will, what? Come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus lays that out in John chapter 14, verse three. And then after his resurrection, Jesus appears to about 40 or appears to people for about 40 days. And after giving some final instructions, it says he was transported to heaven before their very eyes, standing there before their very eyes. And then two angels appeared in Acts chapter one, verse 11. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Because this same Jesus, the same Jesus you saw die on the cross, the same Jesus you saw rose again, the same Jesus who came to you and taught everything about what's gonna happen in the end, he showed himself to you, showed himself over and over and over again to people. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So there is no denying the teaching of Jesus. There's no denying the teaching of the Bible that Jesus Christ will come back. Some people have said, well, Jesus has already come back. Well, if that's the case, then you and I are in trouble. Because the reality is Jesus hasn't come back. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks, I'm not going to promise how long, we're going to continue to walk through Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 25, and what it means to be a vigilant person, a person who is ready for Jesus to come back. Because the reality is this, Jesus is coming back. I'm not going to be the one, and if you ever go to a church where a dude stands up and tells you, this is the time, this is the day, this is the hour, I'm going to tell you at that point you should stand up, walk out the doors before the dude even goes any farther, and know that you have walked into a house that is not teaching the scripture. Because the reality is the Bible tells us we don't know the time, we don't know the hour, and we're going to unpack that over the next couple weeks. But the reality of it is this. We know the end is coming. It is not a doubt. There is no doubt behind it. If Jesus' teachings are true, which we hold them to be true, we live by them, I live by them in my life. If Jesus' teachings are true, you can't follow Jesus as Savior and say Jesus has already come back, or you can't follow Jesus as Savior and say, I know when Jesus is coming back and understand and really follow Jesus of the Bible. Because the reality is the Bible tells us, look, Jesus is coming back and you don't know the time. Matter of fact, Jesus doesn't know the time. And while you may not comprehend that, may not understand it, you have to begin to understand it says that in the scripture. So we're going to dig in and understand that Jesus is coming back. But you have to understand this also. Given the state of affairs in the world, many have questions concerning the end of the world. I mean, heck, when everything started going on with North Korea and the discussion of, oh man, Trump's leading us into war, when that started happening, what started happening in Christian circles? It's the end of the world. We're going to be led to nuclear war. The nuclear holocaust is coming out. Russia is aligning itself with Syria. I mean, we got that going on. The United States is standing up to that. Now we got Korea and South Korea, North Korea and South Korea, and you got a leader who's out of control and he's got nuclear weapons. And now we got Iran, they got nuclear weapons and everybody's flipping out and everybody's like, this is the end. Listen to me. 
the Jewish people in 1940, 1940s experienced one of the worst holocausts of all times. When a crazed madman named Adolf Hitler comes to power and starts wiping out the Jews off the face of the earth. Now, to me at that time, I'd be going, man, if this ain't the end, it's almost the end. And for those of you who lived in the 1940s and understand, you're going, yeah, there was probably a lot of talk at that point. The end of the world is near. Look, there are signs and everything that's going to point to what's going to happen. And Jesus lays those out. And what we began to unpack last week was those simple things. But I want you to see this. Ethan, pop those, those next slides up. Because the Jews believed in a number of things. Number one, that when or before Jesus came, they, they had beliefs about in things. Number one, that before the Messiah would come, before there would be a Messiah, there would be terrible tribulation. We talked about that last time. And the Jews have experienced that all throughout history. They experienced it to the Assyrians back uh, when, when Assyria took over. They experienced it when the Babylonians took over, then the Persians took over, then the Romans took over. The Jews have experienced terrible tribulation. So they expected that. There would be a forerunner like Elijah, which we know John the Baptist became. John the Baptist prepared the way for the Messiah. There would be the coming of the Messiah, which Jesus lines up. There is no other person in history who accomplishes many prophecies from, that were fulfilled from the Old Testament as Jesus did. As a matter of fact, the odds of just one person fulfilling just eight of those prophecies, and I, 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 I wish I'd show you the video. I showed it for my teenagers a long time ago. Maybe I, I don't remember if I showed it in here before, but it's one times 10 to the 17th power. The odds of one person fulfilling just eight prophecies. Jesus fulfilled over 300. So the coming of the Messiah. Number four, the Jews expected the battle against the Messiah, that nations would rise up and battle against the Messiah. We see that. We see the destruction of nations as a result. They believed that nations were going to be destroyed. Number six, Ethan, flip that switch one more time. All right, these aren't in my notes. I'm reminding you last week what we covered. There would be the renovation of Jerusalem, that Jerusalem was gonna be reestablished and rebuilt. There would be the regathering of Jewish people to Jerusalem. There would be the significance of Palestine. In other words, Palestine would rise to an authority figure. That the Jews expected this, that when the Messiah came, there would be this political, religious ruler that would establish Palestine or Israel as a major nation, a world power, world dominance. And then as a result of that, there would be this new age. That is what the Jewish people expected when the coming of the Messiah came. And then Jesus gives us these answers last week. He said, look, they questioned this. They said, tell us. They said, what will, or when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus gives them eight things that would be the sign of his coming. All right? You get those? You remember those from last week? I'm going to go over them real quick. These eight things Jesus said were going to be the signs. In other words, the sign of his coming would be these. Number one, there would be the attempted deception of followers. All right? There are going to be those things. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. Okay? So there's attempted deception of followers. Number two, there would be wars and rumors of wars. He goes on and says in verse six, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. In other words, be vigilant. See to it that you're not an alarm. Number three, there would be international hostility. That's the idea, wars and rumors of wars. Now, verse seven, nation will rise against nation and kingdom will rise against kingdom. So there's a, another sign of the end. There would be famines and earthquakes in various places. That's number four. Number five, there would be great persecution. If you read in verse nine, it says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. 
there'd be great persecution. Matter of fact, last week, if you weren't here, we said that there is more persecution taking place now in the last 10 years than ever before in the history of the world. Go and look up Voice of the Martyrs. Go and look up Persecuted Church. There are more people being killed for the sake of Christ now than ever before, ever before. And we can talk about countries in Africa. We can talk about countries in the Middle East. We can talk about countries in Eastern Asia like Thailand and places like that where it has become brutal. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will be put to death. It's just a matter of time. So the cost that these people bear for the sake of the gospel is huge. So there will be great persecution. Number six, he says, this is a sign that the end, there will be internal strife and betrayal among believers. Listen, I have never seen it so bad as to the point where we see it now in certain times. Listen to what it says. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. That's one of the things you see consistently. That there are people who claim to be Christians who have turned on each other, who have betrayed each other and hate each other. There's an internal strife and betrayal that is evident. Number seven, the love of most will grow cold. We will see that over and over and over again. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That's the reality. Number eight, it says this. What are the signs of the end? He who stands firm to the end will be saved. When I stand on the truth of God's word, when I stand on the reality that Jesus Christ died for me, that he will strengthen me, he will uphold me, he will give me the words to speak, he will see me through every difficulty and every trial, then I understand that he will save me. But when I walk the path of least resistance, when I say I'm gonna take the easy road rather than standing on the truth, then I really do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. I have walked through and tried to do it all on my own. So he who stands firm to the end, and then as a result of that, the gospel will be preached. You realize that we have the gospel now in more nations than we've ever had before. It is being translated into dialects and languages where people have never had the opportunity to hear. And as a kid, I remember growing up going, what about those people who never had the chance to hear the gospel? That is our goal. That is our role that in every way, shape, or form, we take the gospel to the furthest most reaches. And for those of you, listen, I saw somebody posted this week on Facebook, and it's, it's a complete misunderstanding of the gospel. It was a picture of people who are homeless under a bridge and said, you're willing to take the gospel to the other ends, but you're not willing to go out to the people under the bridge. Listen to me. You can't have both ways, or you can't have one way and not the other. You have to do both. The reality of the call of the gospel is to be about missions on home, to reach people with the gospel where you're at, and to see the gospel taken to the farthest reaches that we can take it. You cannot go. This is, this is the mindset of most Americans, and this is reality. This is, this is what we're even seeing in the political world. Why don't we just leave everybody else on their own? Let's come home. We'll bring our troops. We'll protect our borders. We'll worry about our people at home. Listen to me. You can't do that. And it's just in that same way that you can't do that from a missions-sending point. The church is bigger than any one nation any one country, any one political persuasion. The gospel of Jesus Christ goes across political boundaries, national boundaries, international boundaries, and every other way. The gospel of Jesus is for all people, of all tribes, of all nations. And so what we begin to see is we try and jump into this. I just gave you the understanding of what's going on. Listen, Jesus called those, called those the beginnings 
of birth pains. Now, we, we said this last week. If you were a, a woman, you've given birth, you know that the beginning of birth pains can start, you know, maybe, maybe for some it was a week or two before birth. Maybe it was like, like my wife, 15 minutes before birth, it was like just going off. But beginning of birth pains, this is the reality of what's taking place. It is the beginning of the birth pains. In other words, there's a process moving towards the end, but it's not the birth. It's just the beginning of. So these are the signs that Jesus lays out that the, there's a beginning of birth pains, but there will be renewed interest, listen, in communicating the gospel or the good news of forgiveness and eternal life to Jesus, uh, through Jesus Christ. And so we see that right now in what, we, what we've got going on. Matter of fact, Southern Baptists around the world send out more missionaries than any other mission sending agency anywhere. But listen to me, it's still not enough. We're not even beginning to scratch the surface for the need of people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 24, all right, keep in mind what Jesus is talking about. Matthew chapter 24, he says, you know, they ask him, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So Jesus gives the signs of the potential coming. These are gonna be the things. But then he says, in the end of the age. So I believe we're gonna jump into verse 15 and he's gonna give us another sign or another vision of what's gonna be when the end of the age is starting to come about. So Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 15, listen to what he says. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. What's he want him to understand? All right? Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Listen, verse 17. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of his house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be for those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning, listen, for as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the son of what? So will be the coming of the son of man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Anybody ever seen vultures circling over a carcass? You ever, you ever been wandering? I mean, man, growing up in Wyoming, we got to see this quite often. They weren't necessarily vultures. They were more like, I'm trying to remember what we called them, but they're, they're, they're kind of like vultures. They're not vultures because they're not, but anyways, yeah, they are turkey vultures. We call them turkey vultures, sorry. But anyways, you would see them circling. You're like, oh, something's dead. And we usually, you know, growing up, me and my, my cousins, we'd walk over, wander over across the mountains to see what was dead over there. It's usually a dead cow, whether it was a mountain lion or coyotes or whatever, maybe it just died because it got hot and fell over and died. I don't know. But you'd see this dead cow and the vultures would be circling. An idea was that you could see it before you even knew it was there. You could see it before you smelled it. You could see it before you knew something was dead. But I saw it. All right? So we're going we're gonna to jump in and we're going to answer these questions. But I want to ask you this. And you don't have to answer it. I just want you to think about it loud. What does the term vigilant mean? for you, for me, for us, for the church, the term vigilant should mean this. And I think it's something we have to begin to understand. It means keeping careful watch to detect of danger or to stay awake 
to stay awake and to stay alert. The church must be vigilant. We should keep careful watch. We should watch for any detection of danger, but we gotta stay awake and alert for the situation that Jesus is going to do, with the situation Jesus is gonna bring about. See, I believe this, and this is one of the things I wholeheartedly believe is one of the struggles the church faces, is that many churches and many Christians have fallen asleep rather than remaining vigilant. We have fallen asleep on watch. One of the things in the Navy was if you fell asleep on watch, you were gonna be brought up on court-martial or mass, captain's mass. There were gonna be two things that happened. If you fell asleep on watch, you were not defending or protecting the people that you were supposed to be guarding over. You fell asleep on watch, that was like, that was a no-go. You did that, you're, you might as well consider this. If you fell asleep on watch, you might as well finish or call your, your career in the Navy over especially if you fell asleep on watch out at sea, which I found one of those things disturbing because I think that's one of the things that caused the collision recently in one of the ships, which to me, when the ships have a collision, there is a massive breakdown. It's not one individual's fault. I'm telling you that. There is no one individual to blame when a Navy ship collides with another ship. There's like levels of leadership that completely broke down on that. But that's exactly what it is. When Christians and churches fall asleep on watch, we fall asleep and remain unvigilant. We don't live up to what God has called us to do. We just kind of go through life with, 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 with just going through the motions. And so what we have to understand is we have to be vigilant for his second coming. We have to be vigilant in the work of Christ. We have to be vigilant in our obedience to Jesus. And that's what he's laying out. And that's what we begin to understand. So here's the big kicker. Here's what you want to remember. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. We must remain vigilant as we prepare for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Everything we do as a church should be based upon the fact that this is going to happen. Jesus will come back. Jesus will judge the earth. Jesus will hold me accountable for what I said, what I do, what I am called to do, if I am obedient or not. And Jesus is going to likewise hold the church accountable for what they've done. When we understand or have a proper understanding of the second coming, then the church must remain vigilant in everything that we are called to do, called to obedience through Jesus Christ, called to live out our faith in Jesus Christ in front of others, called to be persecuted, called to stand on the front lines of spiritual warfare, we have to remain vigilant as a church. We must remain vigilant as a people as we prepare for the second coming of Jesus. And listen, I'm not gonna stand up here and, and give you a bunch of what I'll call Brian observations or necessarily Brian opinions because I think that's one of the struggles. You wanna know one of the hardest things about preparing these types of sermons is everybody has opinion on how it's gonna come about. Well, Russia's gonna rise up and they're gonna, do we really know it's gonna be Russia? What happens if Russia gets wiped off the face of the earth? It could be that area right in there. See what I'm saying? There's all kinds. I mean, man, if I could write a, a man, heck, I could be John Hagee. I'll start writing about the four blood moons. I sell you all kinds of books. And listen, I'm not saying don't study this. What I'm saying is there is a lot of conjecture. There is a lot of opinion when it comes to studying end time things. There's a lot of self-interpretation. There's a lot of interpretation based upon the political climate. And what's going on in the world? 
And what I'm here to say is we're going to look at, and I'm going to prepare you as we dig through Scripture to try and understand what's going on. So here, we must remain vigilant. So here's the question. What, what more, sorry, what more are we to watch for, all right? What more are we to watch for? Because remember, we looked for the signs. Jesus said there's going to be these signs. What more do we were to watch for? And I think there's one big thing. That's why we titled this sermon the big one. There is one big thing that we know that when this shows up, this signifies the end. It is coming. It is, a matter of fact, it is established. It's just a matter of time before it's coming. And now what is that one big thing? Listen to what he says in verse 15 again. See, or so, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation of, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand, the end is now. That is the end. The abomination that causes desolation. See, there was a a specific advance notice that Jesus gives that involves an event that will profane the temple. There will be this man who rises up to power, who steps into authority figure. He's going to be a person who most likely bails Israel out, helps Israel live because they're gonna face battles of nations and this man's gonna make peace for him and after a while, he's gonna turn on them. He's going to sign a peace treaty and he's going to turn on him and he's going to set up a form of worship where he is going to be worshiped in the temple. He will defame, he will desolate everything that's going on in the temple and he will set up a form of worship so that he is being worshiped and no one else is. He will make it illegal. It's really what goes on in Daniel when you got the 90 foot statue that is built and the king says, bow down and worship me or you're going to be thrown into the what? Fiery furnace. So there's this picture that's going on that Jesus says, hey, I'm warning you right now. When the abomination that causes desolation steps in, when that person comes in, now you know the end is happening. And we haven't seen that yet. And we don't know when it's going to be. And the reality is every generation, here's the truth, every generation struggles with the thought that it's us now. We did it. It's going on. That's what's happening. That's what it is. That's, that's what's going on. And so the abomination that causes desolation will rise to power. And so I, I, I've studied a lot of things. I'm trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. I want you to understand this, that he will be just a man of power. He will rise to some sort of world dictatorship. He will be a leader who leads down it. He will make the temple abominable. He will step into that situation and he will set up in some way, shape, or form an idolatrous worship there. And that, listen, is Satan's counterfeit king who becomes the king of the world really in that sense. And he is at that point a demon-possessed Hell-inspired, and this is, this is a direct quote that I got, demon-possessed, hell-inspired, Christ-hating, God-defying, Christian-killing, Jew-despising man of sin who takes over the reins of rulership in the world, and Satan pulls out all the stops to try and destroy all Christians, all Jews, the nation of Israel, and stop Jesus Christ from establishing his kingdom. Do you understand what's going on at that point? It's a big deal. And the thing about it is, this event will be clearly recognizable by everyone. Some will worship him. They will think he's the savior of the world. They will acknowledge him as a God. They will acknowledge his leadership. But the church has to realize that that person is just the beginning of the end. The end has come. So that's what's going to take place. So let, listen to what he says in verse 17. And I think this is the thing we have to begin to understand. All right. If you flip over, let me, let me jump to this real quick. I'm, I'm rushing. 
because I don't feel like I got much time. Maybe I took too long introducing this, all right? But if you flip to Matthew chapter 9, you can write these verses down. I'm going to read them so you understand the abomination that causes desolation. It's talked about in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 27. It's talked in Matthew, or sorry, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, and Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. Listen to what he says. This is what Daniel says. Verse 27 of chapter 9. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, in other words, seven years. In the middle of seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. He will stop what's going on in the temple. And on the a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So that's what we see in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Some 800 to 1,000 years before the time of Jesus, Daniel prophesies this. And in Daniel chapter 11, he says this. This is talking about this, this man, this Antichrist. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress, and he will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up an abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. And then chapter 12, verse 11 says, from that time, the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up. There will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of 1,335. So listen, there is going to be a person, an individual who rises to power, who becomes the abomination that causes desolation that is going to start the end. So what are we to do to be vigilant? We watch for that. We stand alert and prepared. Number two, we have to have a quick reaction because listen to what he says, starting in verse 17. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of his house. And then he goes on and he says, let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be. Listen, when this happens, it will be with great force and great destruction. And the idea is it's gonna start in Jerusalem. So what Jesus is saying for those who live in Jerusalem is you're not gonna have time to go back and get your cloak. Do you hear the preparedness that he's talking about? You need to be on guard and on watch because when it happens, it's going to hit the fan and it's going to hit the fan hard and it's not going to be nice. As a matter of fact, John MacArthur says this, this will be the Holocaust of all Holocausts. And if you were alive back in World War II or you've ever met somebody who actually went through the Holocaust, you will understand just a very small glimpse of what this is going to be like. It's going to be bad. Matter of fact, look at verse 21. It says, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. What is it going to be like? It's going to be like nothing we've ever seen. The persecution of the Jews back in the 1940s is going to be nothing compared to what's going to happen Later, Nazi Germany was bad, but you just wait. It's going to be awful. It's the Holocaust of all Holocausts. Matter of fact, there was a point, and I, I don't remember exactly where it's at. It's in Zechariah. I think it's Zechariah chapter 13. Um, but it talks about how, Zechariah chapter 13, how two out of every three Jewish people will be killed. They won't make it through it. Zechariah 13, I believe in verse eight or something like that, but it talks about how that's going to be, that's what it is, verse eight, in the whole land declares the Lord, two-thirds will be struck down and perish, and only one-third will be left in it. 
So it will be a great holocaust, and we have to be prepared. Verse 21 says that, that we need to be prepared. We understand it's going to be massive, and so we have a quick reaction. And number three is this. There's going to be great deception. Listen to verse 26. If anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, do not go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Here's the thing that I believe is one of the things that will happen. If there's a deception thing, and this person rises to power, and his goal is to wipe out people off the earth, if he can deceive people into going out and seeing or looking for the Christ, what's going to happen? It's going to annihilate him. It's going to be led to slaughter, like lambs led to slaughter. They're going to show up thinking they're coming out to see the Messiah, and they're going to be slaughtered. But here's the beauty. As we jump into that, listen, one of the things about end times is there is a lot of speculation out there, and you have to begin to understand how do we interpret Scripture from that. But listen to what he says in verse 26. So if anyone tells you there he is, don't go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. But listen to verse 27. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus comes back, there will be no doubt. Matter of fact, on Wednesday night, when I was coming home from a softball game, uh, for those of you who don't remember Wednesday nights, the night the big storms blew in, uh, we were coming home from a softball game. We got one inning into the game. Lightning went tearing across the sky. Guy comes running out. Everybody go home. And it was like, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be bad. As I'm driving up 470, I saw lightning. I'm, I'm literally driving up, and I just happened to look over. We're right by, I'm driving past Sky Zone there in Lee Summit, and I look over, and I, there was a lightning bolt. I'm not joking. Directly off to my west that went streaking across and looked like it touched down somewhere up in Independence. Just, I mean, and so as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, everybody saw the lightning. There was no doubt. That lightning went streaking across the sky and listen to what's gonna happen. When Jesus comes back, just as that lightning went streaking across the sky, you're gonna know it. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And so here's very simply how I want to wrap up because I think this is the thing we have to do is that Jesus warns us against the great deception. As a result of what is happening, people will claim to be the Messiah. And he says, don't go to him. Why? Because we're not immune from the attacks, but God will protect us. Listen again what he says. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will be. And that's how the Son of Man will be known. We'll see him. We will know that Jesus comes back when that happens. And so here's how I want to wrap up very simply today. I don't even feel like I got going. Did I start late? Or did I go too long in the start? Here's how I want to wrap up today because we can talk about the end all we want. But the reality is this, whether you're a believer in Christ or not, number one, if you're a believer, you should be on guard, you should be vigilant, you should be watching, you should be prepared, that you live your life out in obedience. Listen, if you're not a believer, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, here's the greatest decision you could ever make, is that when I put my faith and trust in Christ, I realize at this point that I may have to go through some things or I may see some things. But I know that Jesus will never leave me and Jesus will never forsake me. 
And there's a lot we're going to jump into. What we're going to jump into over the next couple of weeks is being able to identify the time. How do we know? What's going to go on? But then the reality is this. As we jump into Matthew 25, as a believer in Jesus Christ, because I know Jesus is coming, because I don't know the time, how do I stay vigilant? How do I remain being about God's work for God's kingdom, for God's glory in the days he's got us in right now? That's what we're going to jump into in Matthew 25. That's what we call the sermon series Vigilant, that we would be prepared for the end. And so maybe you're a person, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. You say, I'm not prepared for the end. And I just want to offer a simple thing. We're going to close with a song. We're going to do one verse. This is your chance to respond. This is your chance to put your faith and trust in Christ. There's nothing magical about doing this. So I want every head bowed and every eye closed. And we're going to close with this song. But as we do it, I want you to ask this question. Have I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? You have an opportunity where you're at today. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so very simply, you can do it right there where you're at. You confess that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the Lord of all. He will return. He sits at the right hand of the Father now waiting for the Father to send him back. He died on the cross for your sins. You confess to him your wrongdoings. You confess to him your sins. You repent of those and you turn your back and you follow him and you'll be saved. And so as we close with this song, if you say, that's me, I wanna put my faith and trust in Christ, here's what I want you to do. Just come up here and talk to me. Very simply. We're gonna close with this song and you'll be dismissed. Christians, I believe it is our goal and our role to be vigilant to be on guard, to be ready. And so God, I pray today that you would speak to each of us where we're at as we stand here, as we close with the song, that our faith would be in you, our trust would be in you, we would follow you no matter the cost, and that God, we would remain vigilant. Father, we pray that we would be on guard, watching, and ready for your second coming. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.